Hey ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. As always, I'm joined by Dom. Mm, uh, praise the sun. Praise the sun, and Jordan. <laughs> what would, for Code Vein, Dom, would it be like, praise the... What's a, what's a Japanese term for, like, sunshine? I don't know, just... Just be code vein. So you guys aren't going to say shit about my fucked up laugh just now. Huh? Yeah, was that Praise a the witch house or was that the a Joker laugh? Praise the house of the rising sun. Oh, like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just glossed over it, Jordan. I'm like, I'm just like, move, moving forward. It's There's not much you could do the to surprise us. the film Joker, Jared. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see that movie. I'm, I'm interested to see how I feel about it, you know? We, we, we talked about that movie at length in terms of what's it what its effects will be on like dude bros versus like comic book fans who want to see how comic book it is it's gonna be very interesting when are you do you like do you have a ticket purchased no i don't have one i want to try to catch it this weekend um but in the next two weeks for sure I'm, i want to catch it in theaters for yeah, sure i'm going tonight so we'll see, we'll see. hell yeah i'm going i'm waiting till tomorrow <laughs> we'll watch you're the going tonight oh it's the batman movie that you could care less about right yeah, like the the Matt Reeves one or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean until like there's a reason that I should care about it, but that's not yeah. been proven. So I'm like, fuck that. Yeah. Okay. That movie has I... been in development for quite some time. Exactly. Way too long. Yeah, yeah. The Flash movie. Remember that movie? Uh, so hey, can't I'll... wait for Cyborg solo film. I'll head up the usually I go last because I don't have a whole lot to talk about. But this week I'm bringing two completed games week. to you boys. I completed two Ooh, games this week. Changed. Ooh. Uh. First up, uh, Magic the Gathering Arena, the new expansion, still going well. MTG. Uh, Throne of Al Aldrain or Aldrain. I haven't actually looked up how to pronounce it. Aldrain. Uh, it's probably Aldrain, something, some, something fancy like that. So having a blast with Aldrain. that. Aldrain. Uh, the other game I wanted to mention real quick, Apex Legends. So previously we had talked about the season three that happened that started on October first. I don't know if you, that was the week you were gone, Dom. If it was just me and Jordan. Um, when we talked about the new legend and everything, crypto. Anyways, a surprise crypto. to a bunch of people uh, was that we got a new map. So initially, it was thought that they were, they were only going to be introducing the new legend and the new battle pass, but they ended up revealing with the trailer, the launch trailer for the new season, a brand new map. Um, I know you played a little bit Apex Legends. Have you actually seen like the map at all, Jordan? That people play on for Apex Legends. I mean, I've seen some gameplay of. Is it just one map? Yeah. Yeah, so then I've seen it because I've seen gameplay of Apex. Okay, so one of the biggest criticisms leveraged against Apex Legends was that the map obviously didn't update as much as Fortnite, right? Because no game really can. And the other thing was that the design wasn't necessarily bland, but it it wasn't as exciting as like a Fortnite map, right? It was based more like realistically with buildings and, and that kind of stuff. And the, the kind of geography of the map wasn't... There just wasn't a whole lot going on outside of actual, like, terrain, right? This new map kind of flips that on its head. It's way more colorful. Uh, it's basically on a planet where uh, there's, like, a mixture of ice and magma. Um, so the map, parts of the map are covered in snow, which is new, and have, like, ice um, covering certain buildings or certain locations. Uh, and half of the map is covered in magma. So there's certain buildings that are built in a way that hover over like lakes of magma and lava and stuff, right? 
So, um, it it's a brand new map. It's not like the first map uh, evolved or anything like that. It's a brand new location. I've played maybe around 10 matches on it. My initial impressions are... So there's a lot more buildings in this map, uh, a, a ton. There's actually like a couple of mini little cities uh, with skyscrapers <coughs> in them. Uh, and they're kind of big buildings, which changes the dynamic because in the first Apex Legends map, there's smaller buildings that you would be in and out of. And maybe you can get in a firefight in one, but it was very claustrophobic, right? There weren't these big gotcha. open indoor spaces. Whereas this game has those big tall skyscrapers. Uh, in some sections of the map and you can have entire team fights in these buildings uh, on multiple floors at the same time so it kind of changes the the rules of engagement there in terms of you're not always going to be fighting hiding behind rocks or walls sometimes you can have indoor fights towards the end of a match when the circle's closing in which changes things because you're worrying about grenades because you, you can't really escape grenades as easily right in a closed off space um I haven't played any games of the new legend, so I don't. I can't actually say anything about him. Grip from out. what I've seen competing against him, he offers a tactical advantage that hasn't been seen in Apex, where he has a drone that can fly around and spot enemies, and he also has an EMP that can shut down <coughs> abilities for I think like three seconds. Um, so he's good at scouting, right? Uh, yeah. Other than that, I'm really enjoying it. It's very colorful. I'm wondering if. So the first map was very realistic, as realistic as a sci-fi game like that could be. This game is a lot more colorful, and though a lot of the elements of the map are based in realism, it's a little bit more cartoony, if that makes sense, Fantastical. Uh, in terms yeah. of the visuals. So I don't know if they're doing that so that they can <coughs> update the map easier, right? So they don't have to worry so much about having it fit into this very realistic environment. And they, they can do the wacky things because they fit into the aesthetic of the new map. Uh, also, it isn't clear if there will eventually come a point where we could select between which map to play on, right? So, uh, that's pretty much it for Apex. I doubt you guys have any questions regarding that. Um, yeah, so the two games I completed, I want to get to the uh, Link's Awakening first. So, I guess I'll start off by saying the both of the games I completed this week, I really enjoyed, but there's no chance they're going to be Game of the Year for me. Uh, so, Link's Awakening... I never played the original, uh, completed this game, finished the colored dungeon, which completely falls apart in this remade version because the whole gimmick of it was you were playing it on the DX version of Link's Awakening when you had color for the first <laughs> yeah. time, right? So the whole gimmick was color. <clears throat> well, now in 2019, that it, it loses its effectiveness because everything's in color and we're used to it and it, it just like, it's really simple and easy, it doesn't really provide much of a challenge at all. Um, the eight dungeons in the game. What I'll say is six of them, I think, are really well designed and have good bosses. I think two of them are from that old... Like, they didn't update them to 2019 game standards, game standards in the sense of, like, they go by the way of check every corner, hit everything, see what works, and eventually come up with a solution. It's not actually good game design, if that makes sense. You know, like gotcha. older video games, a lot of them would, you know, they'd want you to spend time in them, so instead of providing good game design, it's just about smashing your head against the wall or hearing from Howdy. a friend at school or Nintendo Power or something how to get the solution right. And I think two of the dungeons in this game suffer from that. Uh, it's... 
it's funny because at some points in dungeons you'll be like, oh, I'm dumb, I can't come up with a solution. But some of them are just completely and utter, like, th there's no way you would come up with a solution on your own just walking around and figuring things out. Why are um, video game puzzles like that, gentlemen? I, I just think it's, a lot of it is based on older game design in which they weren't trying to create good puzzle mechanics. They were trying to create longevity in the game <laughs> itself and have you play for longer, yeah, you like know? Padding it out. but Artificial like, padding, exactly. It's still, it... We have not escaped the clutches of the past. Well, especially we... in a game like this, that's an actual remake of an old game, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like even... Yeah. yeah. But but even worse, brand new games that were, you know, created and imagined in this era. It's just obnoxious that... And I think that, <clears throat> you know, I bring this kind of stuff up often, which is just the minutia of video games. There's a whole lot to be desired, in my opinion, and I think that the puzzle solving aspect of video games is absolutely one of them and it's a really um, kind of underrated it's not talked about nearly as as much as it probably should be as vital as it is to as many games as it is yeah another thing I'll say is that the cutscene from the beginning of the game that was the cutscene that unveiled this when it was first announced and the cutscene yeah. at the end of the game which is <clears> in the same art style are beautiful and I want an animated series immediately with that art style. It's right. so gorgeous. Uh, <sighs> it's tough when you get that shit and you're like, they're opening anime cutscenes to like kind of old school RPGs or something like this. It's just, it's such a tease. It feels yeah. like. Uh, what I will say too, <clears throat> a lot of the characters in this game are really, it's a weird game obviously, but a lot of the characters are really lovable. Uh, like I, I, like I said, I'm new to the game, and a lot of the people you interact with, they have such vivid personalities for being, for having very few voice lines and being very simplistic designs overall. Like, they really capture you in a way that doesn't always happen with video games, mm -hmm. which is surprising. Um, the ending, I'll say, leaves a little bit to de be desired, too. You fight, like, a, a select uh, rotation of Shadow Nightmares, and they're basically like shadow forms of the bosses you fought before. Uh, those are a little unclear too because you have to use specific items against them and it's pretty much swapping in whatever item you think would work and testing it to see if it works. It's unclear sometimes if you have to use your charge sort ability or not. Like A lot of stuff is very obtuse and it doesn't hold up by today's standards. All of that being said, like I really love the game. I'm glad I got it. Still don't think it should be 60 bucks, but... I still, like I said before, I technically got it for 40 is the way I'm playing it in my mind. Uh, sure. I don't regret playing this game. I think it'll end up on my top 10 list. It's one of my favorite Zeldas. I, I mean, I haven't played every Zelda game in existence, wow. but like, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, that's going <laughs> off of, don't be too impressed. I think I've played four or five total Legend of Zelda games. Like, I don't have the catalog of playtime as, like, Dom, right? Where Dom's yeah. list of Legend of Zelda games, or I don't know how many you've played, Jordan, <clears throat> would be a little bit more interesting because you've played a lot more. <laughs> played a bunch, yeah. haven't beaten many, if yeah. any. Well, so, Jared, I'll jump in really quick because this was a game I finished, too, while we're on the same topic. Okay. Um, and, yeah, it's good. I mean, we talked. I talked last week about how much I like the art style and, and, and things of that nature, but I 100% agree with your assessment that yeah two of the dungeons in particular are not designed very well by today's standards and in general all the all the dungeons in this game are not the best um this is probably like 
I don't know, it feels weird to say it, but, like, this is one of the worst of the two-day Zelda games um, in that aspect as far as, like, level design and, you know, the items and how you use them and things like that. It, I, it was nice to go back to this style of a, of a Zelda game where, like, you do have items that you need to progress <coughs> as opposed to Breath of the Wild where you just progress. I mean, there is no progression, yeah. I guess. I, to your point, you I know. think the overworld level design is better than the actual dungeon level design. Oh, yeah, I agree with yeah. that, yeah. But, yeah, this was, as I was, like, getting towards the end, I was remembering, like, a couple of the dungeons at the end in particular. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I forgot that I actually, like, kind of dislike, you know, some of these dungeons, dislike is the wrong word. Some of these dungeons in just don't hold up well compared to the other Zelda games, right? So it's like, you're taking, like, you know, it's 14 karat gold versus 20 karat gold. So it's still really good, you know. Yeah. But in comparison to some of the other 2D Zelda games, like Oracle's, uh, Oracle of Seasons and Ages are, like, to me, way above uh, this game, but it's still a really cool game. And yeah, I'm I'm also super glad I, I played it. So, the thing too that I'll say is I like that a couple of the bosses, the dungeon bosses, <coughs> change the actual way you fight a, a Zelda boss. Because uh, normally in dungeons you expect it to be four walls and and the boss, and there's some mechanic you have to go through, right? Whereas a couple of dungeon bosses in this game, particularly the eagle, the angler fish, I think those are the only two. Uh, go towards more of a 2D like traditional 2D game perspective when you're fighting them. So it changes Side scroller up. style. <coughs> exactly. Yeah. It changes up the, the approach of the boss battle which is cool. Um, I think the the tra- I guess I'll call them transition rooms. You know the rooms that are 2D side scrolling uh, dumb that often feature like the weird uh, crossover characters. I think mm-hmm. a lot of those were useless i don't think they were ever really used to their full advantage in terms of what they could have done with that space they're very well, simplistic and they were just loading hallways essentially I, I was gonna say what they are is just um just basically like a cheat to be able to get you from one room to the other on the other side of the dungeon exactly. without geography yeah. getting in the way it's like oh you're yeah. underground now so like there's a suspension of belief because we can just make you come up in whatever the fuck room we want right so it's kind of like a not great design it's kind of like just a cover-up uh for geography in the dungeons. And that's one of the things I think that they could have touched on and improved in this remake without people getting too mad. I think, like, with the dungeon bosses and stuff like that, that's a, an area where it might irritate fans a lot more. Whereas I think those transition hallways, I don't think anybody's, you know, losing their mind over those getting changed slightly to make it more engaging. So I agree. Um, yeah. yeah, that being <clears throat> said, I really enjoyed the game. Had a blast. I don't regret playing through it. I thought it was a very good palate cleanser, especially for the fall series of games that we're getting that are usually either first-person shooters or very action-based, right? Uh, so it was, it was a nice palate cleanser heading into the fall. Uh, I also still didn't have any of those frame rate issues people have talked about. Yeah. But the second game I completed, oh boy, did it have frame rate issues. And it's probably uh, the main reason why it, prob- it likely won't be a game of the year for me, and that's Control. Uh, so, uh, real quick, before I go on about the, the game, uh, Jordan, I remember you talking about how there was a part you got to that was frustrating and actually kind of made you feel as if you didn't even want to go back and finish the game. Now that I've completed right. it, can you tell me what that part is? Spoilers for those who are haven't are, or are uh, looking to play Control. So, Yeah, so definitely spoilers. Uh, what's the name of your entity, Jared, in the game? Oof, good question. I Polaris? forgot. Polaris. Polaris. Polaris, there you go, yeah. And you are on the mission called Polaris. 
which is what, like 9 out of 10, 12 out of 13 chapters, you know? Oh, okay. And you enter this gauntlet of a room, and it's basically a staircase of platforms that you're going up and defeat, trying to defeat these enemies. Yeah, so uh, that is actually... That's the ninth mission. Uh, the funny thing, Jordan, is that if you completed that, they do a fake-out with the credit roll, and then the tenth mission is you going to save Dylan, and you basically do one of the... A pier- you know the pyramid rooms where you usually learn your abilities you do kind right. of like a like a short enemy gauntlet in there and then you reach Dylan and then you get some obviously story cutscene stuff and then the game ends so you were pretty close to the ending no, uh, no, no I knew I knew where exactly where I was because <clears throat> I eventually checked out the walkthrough which I often do in games just to see like You'll be on chapter 11, and I'm like, okay, how many chapters is this? Yeah. I, I like to know. So um, that's where I was at with that. And still, like, <clears throat> spent so much time on it and got... So <clears throat> the way that section ends, Jared, is you... I think you get to what I thought was the top platform, and you start out with, like, guys down on the lower end and then up top there's like the two guys that are floating and uh, have the rocks like suspended around them so then you battle like multiple waves there and that's is that the final platform yeah you finish that and then you have to climb a couple of rocks uh, and then it culminates with uh, the Polaris thing coming to a close and I just felt like the thing is, I've, I've gotten it down to a science where I can get to that final platform pretty much no problem. But then, they just put wave after wave after wave. And because it's on a floating platform, and because um, it's kind of open, it's it's reminds me of like a paintball uh, court, or whatever you would call it. Yeah. Um, where they just have these like obstacles in the way in certain areas so that you can hide. Uh, but it still feels like you're out in the open no matter what, especially when you have so many enemies coming at you that they're totally surrounding you. So um, I've gotten to what seems like it must be the final wave. Cause after you beat the rock guys, then there's a couple of the floating guys that fly around your head. And even like getting down to the last couple of, of guys, it's just like I keep getting fucked over with dumb bullshit. And after a while, I was just like, I, honestly, I don't even care. I just yeah. don't, I can't, as a man <clears throat> who is closing in in the next couple, few years on the age of 30, I don't have enough time to spend in my life to do shit like this where I'm just not enjoying it. The story's fine, but it's not that fucking compelling. And it's just, there's just bullshit involved. I'm not saying that the entire sequence is bullshit. Uh, but there's fuckery involved. No, no doubt about that. Fuckery. Yeah. So I'm like, I just don't need it in my life, Remedy. Just I don't so, need it. So if I get back to it, so be it. And I know you're not like pestering me about it, but oh yeah, more just speaking kind of directly to the ve- developer. It's like, fuck it, man. If this is what you want to do to me, I'm just not gonna have it. So, so uh, I want to get over. I want to get through the negatives and then get into the pod- positives. So first sure. up, the frame rate stuff. Anytime there was more than four enemies on screen, uh, frame rate would get really bad. It would drop to like 
three to five frames. That's coming from somebody yeah. like me who doesn't like super care about that stuff. But this is like to the point where it was, I couldn't really move right. And then after yeah. a couple of seconds, it would work out and it'd be fine. But it was uh, wait, happening where are you anytime. playing? Uh, X. Uh, what do you mean? Xbox One Standard S. Uh, launch Xbox One. Launch like Xbox, OG Xbox One. One. Yeah. That's interesting to know because uh, I had heard most of the people complaining about frame rate issues I've heard on specifically PS4 Pro. Yeah. Yeah. Which, remember when I first talked about Control, I was like, yeah, I'm not getting any of these issues. But once it got to the point in the game where there was the bigger rooms with more (laughs) enemies in him, that's when it started becoming more apparent. Uh, That it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Like I could I could partially forgive that, too. The thing I will say about that last section that you're talking about, so there's two ways they could have fixed that pro- that that section. It, it was kind of bothersome to me too. So you start off obviously on the bottom floor on the railings, and you un- you unlock those like the three corners, right? You get those mm-hmm. done, then there's a, a like a auto save checkpoint there, right? So then you go, and then there's three platforms after that. There's the first one, the second one, and then the third one that you talked about, right? And you explained the exact situation it has. The problem I feel that they have is they didn't. They should have put a checkpoint after you do the first two. Oh, this game because has checkpoints, th- Jared. It is abysmal with checkpoints. Yeah, because you have to end up running through like five different corridors to get back to you wor- uh, where you were. I'm not even gonna get into that. It's just it's piss poor. Yeah, so I think they should have put a, a save checkpoint after the first two, because then when you're stuck on that last one, if you die, when you get yeah, back dude. there. You don't have to worry about those first two because the first two aren't as hard as the third one. But it's I can a, do them. Yeah, yeah, they take up time, and there is right. a chance that you could die. Like it's not just like right. walking through like nothing, right? Absolutely. Um, so I think that was done pretty poorly. Another solution that they could have done, or in tandem with the one I just mentioned, was like you said, the way the area works is there's a top fl- platform and a bottom platform, and the top platform has a bunch of like obstacles that help the enemies from getting shot by you and it has those two guys that are floating shooting rocks down your area essentially has like a like a rectangle in front of you in the center of the platform that's maybe up to like your thigh so it's not actual right. full cover and it's yeah. not total it's like half cover it's like pretty bad and because the yeah. enemies are elevated it really does nothing at all because they can still hit you no matter if you're ducked or not so i thought that whole like little area was poorly uh, designed, be, also because it's so small. So if you fall off either yeah. side, Dom, you're gonna die. Like <laughs> you'll fall to your death. So you have to stay on this platform. You don't have cover. It, it's they want you to try to use all of your abilities at once, but it comes it becomes really cumbersome. And yeah, it just with Quantum Break, I don't know if you guys remember that the biggest complaint against that game outside of the TV show stuff. Was that everybody you, thought Jared. that it fell apart at the at, at the boss battle? I might not be saying yep. what you expect me to say. So, no, <laughs> okay. exactly what I thought you were going to say. It spikes in difficulty at the end, which Control, even over Quantum Break, already has bad difficulty spikes. But um, this one is almost exactly in the same spot as Quantum Break. I guess it is, because you're saying it's essentially the final real battle. Yeah. So it's like, it's... It's like that's that's why I put the controller down is because I'm like remedy, fuck me once, shame on you. Fuck me twice, that's shame on me, and I'm not doing it. And here's the thing: is I actually liked the final battle in Quantum Break. 
Okay. It was difficult, but I think it was also more manageable because it was in that big open area with the pool and stuff. Whereas this yeah. was like the same difficulty spike, smaller area, no cover, right? So it's like yeah. adding on that difficulty spike on top of it just being seemingly being poorly designed in terms of level design. Um, right. To the positives, I really enjoy how weird the story is. Uh, like you yeah, said, baby. it's nothing like that grips you, but it is a very weird supernatural story. I like right. all of the weird... So the the building has all of these supernatural items and they come in various forms. There's like uh, uh, a swan boat, you know, the typical boat you see in like rom-coms and stuff that they ride in underneath like a little cove or something. There's a, a jukebox machine. There's a, uh, a crowbar, which seems like it was an Easter egg towards uh, uh, Half-Life. Half-Life. Yeah. There's just a bunch of really cool Easter eggs in the game. There's an awesome Alan Wake call out where, Alan Wake is a paranormal event that takes place in, like, the the canon of Control. Um, nice. uh, I thought uh, the side quests aren't really important and they don't matter, but I'm, I'm glad that they have that for people who want to explore this weird building more so after the game. Another prop to them is that when you finish the game, there's a canon reason why you're continuing to play in the building even though you've kind of overcome the problems you were trying to deal with which is nice. really cool because you're it, you know that weird thing with video games where you complete it and it's either they put you right before the final mission <coughs> or they put you afterwards and it doesn't really make sense with the way the story ended that you're still able to play in yeah. this world right it's in those situations it's clearly not well thought out so. yeah uh I like that you can switch outfits I thought the the upgrading uh, system in it was was decently well done uh, I don't. I didn't really like the board countermeasures, which were like the specific side mission, like quests or timed uh, quests. No, th those ones are bad too. I'm talking about the ones where it's like kill five hiss with this gun, right? Um, oh no 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 no! Yeah, you're talking about like these are. Um, what would you call them in other games? There's kind of like a more colloquial term. Uh, like you have them in Borderlands and stuff. Yeah. Um, challenges. Yeah, I guess you know, challenges is the right term. Where you're just so, like, you're kind of like chipping away at it as you go along. It's more like a passive thing. Exactly. I don't think there was enough randomness to the choices you had when they would pop up. I also don't think the rewards were very, like, incentivizing. Like, they weren't. Yep. It just wasn't worth it to even go about worrying about them or doing them, right? Yeah. Uh, I Would you agree again, that ties into, like, you know, upgrading your character and kind of the anatomy of that. And I just didn't feel like incentivized to go do side quests and make my character more powerful because I didn't feel like I could see a tangible, see tangible evidence of how that was affecting things. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I was okay with the, with the upgrade tree, but I wasn't really into needing to upgrade everything. Whereas with like Spider-Man, right. for instance, I wanted to upgrade everything in that game and yeah, do everything I could yeah. to get all the abilities. In this game, it's like whenever I was able to upgrade something, I was like, oh, cool, it's a great bonus. But I never felt compelled to go and do it because it just didn't feel worth it to go through all of that extra work because the extra work didn't feel fun, right? So, yeah, um, yeah it's extremely... Sorry to interrupt, but I just wish that some of the cool, weird stuff that you're talking about had been more woven into the 
main story. Honestly, I just wish this was more like a linear story uh, third-person adventure, which I'm sure they feel like they have to kind of adapt to the times with the side missions and the more open sandbox nature of the building. But I thought that was to the detriment of the game for me just because I wanted the whole weird side stuff that I keep hearing about from people to be the main story because I felt like the main story suffered in, in that sense that as weird as the situation you're in is the story itself is it's about a sister trying to find her brother who got taken away by an agency when they were kids and like did some magic stuff basically yeah you know the, that's about the, it the one thing I will say is there's a part in this game that you would absolutely love Dom absolutely love and I know for a fact you would so you know how we talked about when Doom 2016 came out how we loved that the music just made you feel compelled to kill everything in your path and it really got you hyped up right like the music was the some maze. of the best parts of Doom right there's Dom? a really bad joke in there but I won't go there but yeah I know <laughs> what you're talking about so uh, there's a, a maze you can do in this game called the Ashtray yep. Maze and when you do it this like <clears throat> Polish metal band I'm assuming it's Pol- uh, they're Polish right no, Remedy is somewhere in Europe, but yeah, let me let me check real quick. Let's see. Anyways, there's a there's a there's a European metal band Dom that plays this song right as you're going through the maze and like the walls are changing and crazy stuffs happening and enemies are popping up and then they're disappearing, and you're going through this entire thing, killing enemies and doing all this stuff while this like badass European metal song is like pumping through your earphones. It's incredible. It's great. It's just like the kinetic energy you feel from the song while you're doing all this. It feels so different than the rest of the game, but in a really good way. Uh, Denmark? Are they from Denmark? Uh, yeah, I guess their their headquarters is in Finland, so I guess it's like a okay. Finnish metal band, uh, Finnish or some something European, you know. Anyways, that part I think you would love, Dom, uh, just because it it really felt like Doom in a lot of ways, which is weird for this third person action game. Uh, but yeah, I yeah. I enjoyed Control. I, it won't be game of the year for me, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah. just like with Link's Awakening, I really enjoyed my time with it. I'm excited for a sequel. I hope this sold well enough to justify that. Um, and, yeah, I, it, the way the story ended leaves it open to a sequel in a really cool way. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I enjoyed both those games, but they didn't nece- they're not necessarily game of the year, which isn't a bad thing. Every game isn't going to be game of the year. But for a control specifically, I had hopes of it being that, and it just didn't quite hit the mark. I, I think I still like Quantum Break more than Control overall, probably because, like you said, Jordan, there isn't all these side missions you have to worry about, and it got to focus more on the specific story of that game, right? Yeah, love so, it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Control, though. Good game. Um, Jordan, what did you do this week? So, the only gaming I did was uh, last night with some buddies. Uh, played a little Smash Bros, and we fucked around with the DLC content since uh, Joker and the Persona stage, which I had already done. Cool. And obviously the Piranha Plant I had fucked with. So I fucked with the uh, Dragon Quest hero uh, just for one match. I would say he's a pretty basic character with a sword. And... Um, like I said, just messed with him for one match. Um, his stage is also pretty basic and standard, which I actually prefer for Smash. I like not having distractions. 
uh, but it does have a little bit of movement with um, floating platforms um, above the stage. And then um, I didn't play Banjo-Kazooie, but my friends did, and it looked like they were really enjoying them, and it also looked like a solid character. Um, the diff all the different attacks, as well as um, just kind of the basic mobility of the character and how it handles, I guess you could say. Um, and the Banjo-Kazooie stage uh, was really great as well. Also a pretty wide open standard stage, um, but then has some character from the series I'm not familiar with. Um, and so yeah, had a good time with that. Um, definitely rusty because I just don't play that game enough, um, often enough. And whenever uh, somebody comes over and we decide to pull it out, it's like, God, I could get a lot better at this game and, and have fun doing it, but it's just... You know, you got to be repetitive with that, and uh, that's not necessarily something I'm doing. So, um, yeah, that was my gaming, I guess you could say. Um, certainly read some comic books. Jared, did you read House of X number six? No. Uh, I was actually behind with comics Hawks. last week, so I finished all of my last week's stuff yesterday, downloaded everything, haven't gotten to read anything for this week yet. Word up, word up. Um, so I certainly won't say anything uh, whatsoever than, other than, of course, I think you could guess, Jared, that it was going to be a, a solid ending and <laughs> yeah. um, certainly leave me excited for not only uh, Pox, number six, Powers of Ten, I guess it's called, um, Powers of X, uh, six, and then leading into um, the X-Men series that are going to be... Yeah, Dawn of X, uh, with um, Hickman writing the X-Men title, and then there being several other spinoffs besides that. Jared, what I'm going to do is read each of the number ones, and then from there I expect to obviously read X-Men, and then most likely New Mutants and X-Force. I haven't looked at the list of everything. I'm, I, I'm... So you got... Uh, New Mutants, X-Force, uh, Marauders, um, Excalibur with Magic, and one other one. I'm going to look into them. I definitely won't follow all of them because it's way too much uh, yeah. <laughs> to read, right, on top of what yeah. I'm reading. I'll probably do what you did and choose two or three that I definitely want to follow, but I'll I'll give most of the number ones a chance and then see what I want to continue with. Yeah. Um. Other than Hickman, none of the writers uh, are necessarily anybody that I have really heard of or have a connection to. Not that they aren't. I think um, Teeny yeah. Howard's writing the magic one. Yeah. Um, yeah. They certainly are uh, writers of renown. I'm just, just not familiar, super familiar with their work. But, yeah, man. Um, what a fucking crazy series. Like, not even spoiling anything for you, Jared. I just think, what a crazy series... Um, House of X is with this like Dom, so, Dom you'll actually uh, appreciate this I think so you know how the X-Men have been um, the whole thing about the X-Men is them being persecuted by humans for being mutants right that's the whole yeah we whole have to deal. put down every last one of them right so right. 
it's kind of gotten to be this tired argument of going back and forth and the whole like uh, will they won't they yeah, yeah, yeah. well the will they won't they but really just like the whole metaphor of them essentially coming out of the civil rights movement in the 60s when they were created um, it's gotten a little bit tired and so basically what these two series are uh, these two six issue series are doing is um, Professor X has decided to uh, take the all the X-Men and the mutants to live on this living island uh, that is a mutant in and of itself. And they've decided to become their own sovereign nation. And they have uh, healing... They can, they can do a lot of stuff with the living island, right? So they have value. The island has value. Does that make sense? It grows, it grows a plant specifically there that the world can use to heal people from dangerous diseases and stuff. Okay. So they use it as right. their primary export, right. especially right. in political negotiations. Yeah. So they're doing that. and But then they're also trying to just, like, live their own vibe and, like, do their own thing without everybody trying to kill them, basically. And so um, the whole thing is, though, is that... Um, they're going about it it's like this cultish thing it's like the cult of x-men where like charles xavier has this like mask on now so you can only see his mouth and not his eyes he looks super creepy he's doing all this weird shit on this like you know private island with mutants and they're all like there's these children running around and frolicking in the meadows with wolverine and you see all this like super weird cultish imagery uh with the x-men kind of like basically finally putting their foot down and saying you know we are going to be uh stop being abused by humans i guess and so um it's basically like turning the x-men into a cult is essentially the 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 thing and i just think it's so fucking cool of like they're like we're not taking your shit anymore and we're gonna be you know happy and i guess i'm not describing the imagery well enough but that's that's the main thing is there's all this really haunting imagery of um the kind of like idealism that they're really diving into and getting a little bit uh fucked up on i guess you could say and the cool um, thing dom is like the two books so house of x mainly focuses on that right like founding the nation right. and all that stuff and powers right. of x or powers of 10 is what's happening currently with the x-men what's happening 10 years from now what's happening years. 100 years from now what's happening a thousand years from now so like the one comic will give you like a timeline event of what's happening there's a lot to go into of them like trying to ascend to singularity and all that stuff that's really not that important the cool stuff is like the I, that stuff's cool too but in order to talk about it on podcasts it's like it's a whole hour-long yeah. conversation about that right. Uh, right but yeah it's pretty cool so yeah <laughs> I, I don't want to go too... There's other cool things about it, too, and more cultish things about the House of X side uh, that just ended yesterday. But um, I, I don't want to spoil too much, um, especially since Jared hasn't finished it. So can't wait to hear Jared's thoughts. Uh, can't wait to see where the X-Men go from here because they have sorely needed uh, some refreshing in the comic realm. Even since... Marvel Fresh Start uh, a year or so ago. I think they've still not been recovered from some of the shit that's gone down with them, and I think that they 
have desperately needed this uh, sort of relaunch in their own right. So uh, that is very exciting for comic and X-Men fans. Um, and someone brought this up, Jared. I didn't even think about this until now. This could be a cool way that they introduce the X-Men into the MCU. I think they'll do it via, like, yeah, Krakoa-type, like, island thing, like, uh, Genosha. Genosha, yeah. Genosha, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? So, um, House of X, shout-out, big shout-out to that, uh, kind of a, wanted to finally talk about it in a little bit of depth now that it's over, um, and Powers of X is ending next week, so we'll see about that, but, uh, shout-out to that, and, um... Just real quick, shout out to some ending series over at Marvel. Uh, Jared, were you reading the Punisher still? Yeah. So Punisher 16 is the final issue. Obviously, I won't say anything about story, but yeah, it, it sucks that even like big what you would think of as big Marvel books and characters as as popular as John Bernthal has made the Punisher uh, books still not selling just because of I think the way comic books are right now and the way the companies essentially publish him. I don't know. It's it's a complicated thing, but there's that. Uh, Champions what? 12 or something like that? 14? Was the final issue yesterday? Yep. Once again, I guess just not selling. Um, and I think there was another Marvel book too, although I can't remember what it was for the life of me. Um, but it's just, you know, sad to see when, like I said, Punisher's huge and Champions has uh, you know, Kamala Khan and Miles Morales in it, who are big right now, very popular characters. And uh, your boy Braun, um, Jared, uh, what's his name? Uh, Amadeus Cho. Amadeus Cho, thank you. So, um, sad to see them go. Punisher was a cool book, man, and I would say definitely one of the highest quality written books uh, since Fresh Start started. Uh, so there's that, but uh, yeah, quick shout out to them. And then, um, well, hey, how about it, boys? Shout out to Star Wars: A New Hope, uh, because kind of funny's doing their Star Wars in review series. So I am uh, rewatching, of course, the despecialized editions of the original trilogy because that is the only way to watch in the actual theatrical form uh, that you would have seen in 1977 as opposed to the George Lucas specialized editions uh, blocking his own shots and screwing up things in ways that you just don't even understand why someone would fuck up their own movie and the composition of uh, different pieces of it. Uh, so, So how did you come across those versions if I may ask? Uh, because I am a child of the internet, Dominic, and I uh, suckle at. So you teeth. didn't. Okay, you didn't buy like <laughs> someone else who put them on a Blu-ray disc or whatever. Okay. No, no, no. They're digital files. Okay. I have digital files. Yeah. So and, I've heard of like uh, online stores selling like, you know, despecialized ver- despecialized versions of those movies. I'm like, I don't think I'd rather do it myself if I was gonna do that. I don't know. Yeah, so there are there is the despecialized edition is by Harmy, who is a a European gentleman, and um, he's you know released multiple versions where he's even updated it, uh, gotten better sources to piece together what is the true theatrical versions of these films. Okay. So um, 
there are people that have put them on Blu-rays. Like I've seen him unbox, uh, you know, someone made like a nice Blu-ray version of his stuff and sent it to him before, but like they've never actually done anything like that, uh, Blu-ray printings, because they would obviously get sued uh, crazily by Disney. So, um, yeah, I would say... People just watch the digital files. It's, you know, if you want to think about how wrong it is, think about how Disney won't allow you to buy this. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, you can't get it otherwise. Yeah, this perfectly, um, I would say, reasonable version. I mean, there's plenty of movies that have updated versions, but you can still find the theatrical cut on a Blu-ray, on a digital download from Amazon or iTunes. And it's Wasn't there something... Was there something that. that Disney recently got a hold of because of the acquisition of Fox regarding Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, it's something about this too. There was well, something 20th that Fox, Century Fox Twentieth Century Fox originally released uh, the Lucasfilm Star Wars movies before Disney came along. Yeah, yeah, I think Disney recently with it when they purchased Fox, they also got the rights to something about Star Wars that Fox still. Yeah, I think the they to. they might have gotten you know access to the original cuts the masters whatever you want to call them regardless i would like to have 4k versions of the theatrical cut of the original star wars trilogy i don't think that's too much to ask so if you don't provide it to the people for the consumers to buy then you know you really shouldn't be upset when they uh find it elsewhere and so i encourage uh, others to do that because it is to me the only way to watch the original trilogy and um, God, is it is it just so lovely and wonderful? And I gotta say, man, it it really does look like a modern remaster that a studio did. You know, that really put some time in, and it would be nice because it's not just like um, you know, like random monsters, aliens walking through shots that they shouldn't be in. It's also like the color grading and. Um, plenty of other things that just have not been taken care of properly uh, for Star Wars over the years and so to see um, as close as possible to an actual an actual kind of theatrical experience and in such high quality with really good color grading and all of that is such a fucking treat man and I am just uh, loving it so um, yeah Star Wars A New Hope I have come around on this movie. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's probably the worst of the original trilogy, and it's it's a solid movie, but there's plenty of problems with it. And I agree with that, but I also think for its ambition, for its time, for what it was doing um, in both the sci-fi and movie industries, I just think that it is, in its own way, in many ways, a masterpiece in its own right, uh, even though I definitely don't think it's the best of the trilogy. So... That is, uh, I will conclude there since I've uh, spoken plenty, but uh, shout the fuck out, man. Star Wars original trilogy. It really gets me thinking about, like, man, this was it. Like, those first three movies for a long time, um, you know, ten or so years, you could look at that and you could really be happy with it and be interested in the rest of the universe and maybe some of the books or whatever. But we didn't have all this superfluous bullshit and we didn't have all these bad movies gunking up the timeline and the the franchise and it really sucks that that's the case now in, in late 2019 
heading into episode nine. We'll see how that goes. But um, it's it really just makes me think about like the purity of it and what it used to be and how enjoyable that is uh, without all the extra BS. The same thing with the fan base, man. <laughs> the fan base yeah, used to be exactly. a lot more pure. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean. Yes and no. Like Star Wars has always cultivated, a, let's say, interesting fan base. Uh, to I say, would say the entitled. Least, but, yeah. Not all of them. Obviously, it's generalizing, painting with a broad brush. <laughs> right. But yeah. I think that I agree with that, Jared. But I do think that it got to a point like the prequels, George Lucas doing the prequels did not upset me almost nearly as much, the midichlorians and all that, nearly as much as, like I said, just ruining the composition of shots, just adding in random CG articles into this movie, into the original trilogy that didn't need to be there. Adding in CG that, and all that. <laughs> that, what'd you say? Adding in CG Yoda. Yeah, it's just like, it doesn't even make any sense and it really does ruin those movies if you're not watching the despecialized edition um so (laughs) that's the that's the funny thing because you always my argument is always like people who don't want a sequel to something or whatever and it's like they you know try to claim like well it's gonna ruin the originals it's like well no just don't watch the sequel if you don't want it which is makes enough sense, but in this case, yeah. George Lucas actually literally actually did go back and yeah, change. This is the one yeah. of the few examples where it's like, yeah. yeah, no, I can't even do that. Right, you, you can't even can't just watch the original shit because any uh, <laughs> legit pathway of trying to acquire those films um, is just—it's essentially broken because you're going to get the specialized edition, special editions, I should say, that were released in the '90s, and they just in many different ways ruin the movies the only thing i would say is in a new hope you have a small appearance by emperor palpatine um uh, sidious himself and it is a person with essentially like pieces glued onto a mask that were meant for a monkey like to make someone look like a monkey costume type of thing yeah and it is utterly atrocious and that is in the despecialized editions because that was how it was released theatrically and the only improvements i think that is the only improvements in the special editions is that you get a regular hologram of um what is it ian mcdonald or ian mcdormand something like that Ian mcdormand yeah Uh, yeah that uh you know played the character in empire strikes back onward uh for the release uh in release order i should say so let the lot lot to be said there, obviously, but yeah, shout out to a new hope. Uh, we're gonna be hopping over to the newest. We're fifty minutes deep, so let's see if we get through <laughs> this in good time. Uh, so both PlayStation stories, one uh, smaller than the other. So PlayStation Now had a price drop uh, this last week. It went from twenty dollars a month to ten dollars a month. Obviously, this is likely to compete with the market, uh, and it went from uh, what was the the uh, the yearly price was like 200 wasn't it, or something like that? It wasn't totally... It was, like it was a discount for buying it year. Down to, no, it was 100 and now it's 60 60 yeah. Uh, so on top of this, they, they're adding God of War, uh, the 2018 version, uh, Uncharted 4, Infamous Second Son, and GTA 5 in November, and those will rotate out after three months. So it's a little bit different than the way Game Pass does it, where Game Pass adds the first-party titles. Obviously, GTA 5 isn't a first-party title add the first party titles and they're there in the library forever. 
Uh, so it's a little bit different the way they're handling it. it seems like they're going to be rotating in and out. Uh, first party Not and third party positive games. positive, if you ask me, Jared. I would yeah, much I, rather have it the Game Pass way. Although, I don't think you're going to get Sony to do anything closer to like a day one AAA release than this. So That's the thing is like, uh, well, these aren't day one. Obviously, they're old games. So it's no, like, I'm saying like this is as close as you're going to oh, get. Yeah. Like, these <laughs> yeah. are year old AAA big titles. That's as close as you're going to get. Yeah, and that them not putting the their first party games day and date on here, I I understand why they won't do that because that's their holy grail, right? That's what they're built on. The fact that they're rotating out the games is the weird thing to me. It's their personal strategy. The one thing I will say is that they don't want to copy Game Pass in terms of keeping the first party titles in there. But what they did do is they literally copied the marketing line from Game Pass. Did you guys see this? They literally used the marketing line, find your next favorite game. <laughs> the, oh, the word wow. for word, the same marketing line that Game wow. Pass used. There was a whole meme going wow. on Twitter of like, you know, the meme of like, hey, let me copy your homework. And they're like, okay, change a few words so they don't notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's re- kind of weird. Obviously, this price change needed to happen for it to be competitive in the mm-hmm. market. Uh it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. We talk about, Dom, how you said you love Game Pass because you can subscribe for a month, play the game you want, and then dip out, right? Yeah. I think this, of them rotating out three months at a time, makes it way more likely for that to be more of an ongoing thing with people than the Game Pass version. It's just my opinion. There's no, like, stats behind yeah. it. But, like, we kinda... if you know a game's going to be there for three months, then you definitely subscribe for a month, hop out. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just we went down this hypothetical assumption or whatever like maybe they'll continue to rotate in first party games for three months at a time which which seems like something they could do but they might not even do that like this might be it and then they might not put any more first party game we didn't consider that really as a possibility because it that would be worse obviously but it, it just seems so obvious like okay and then after the next three months maybe bloodborne's in there for three months and then after that you know uh last of us part one or you know but they might not even do that this might just be a one time deal to try to get a bunch of people in right now and then they might not do it anymore <laughs> so it could be even worse exactly and that's the thing too is people are like well if you have a problem with it only being in there for three months why don't you just buy god of war the problem with that is that the <laughs> yeah, thing with these services is that <laughs> they don't want you to stay for only three months right they want you yeah, to stay no. subscribing for months on end yeah so i mean that's, that's where the weird thing that's, is that's the simple answer to that question is well then you will buy god of war but you won't buy playstation now <laughs> just exactly. there you go yeah. yeah, but then there's the the calculation there of like so they're getting they'll get the twenty bucks from you because God of War is now a greatest hit game, they can get the twenty bucks from you, or they can essentially get the thirty bucks if it takes you three months to beat that game, which it shouldn't. It's just a very interesting approach. It's not necessarily right or wrong, but from a consumer perspective, I'm with Jordan where I I like the Game Pass model more as a consumer, right? And that makes me more likely to subscribe to Game Pass. That doesn't mean PlayStation Now is bad, but as a consumer, I think that Game Pass is offering a better approach to it, you know? And it's you a step in the right it. direction. So whatever you... Yeah. Sorry to step on your line there, but it's a step in the right direction, but it is not all the way there. I wouldn't say it's half-ass. Oh, no, no. But it's not all the way there. I'd it's like it's, it's, I mean, it's half-ass into the service realm comparatively to what else is on the market, right? It's a... Yeah. Jared, I think you said it best, like it's a half-commitment or something like that, where it's like... They're not fully going into this uh, subscription route and model, um, but they kind of are, and it feels maybe a bit awkward. I get it mostly, you know. I get why they would do it this way, but it definitely feels a little like one foot in, you know. Yeah, and it's like 
you could speculate that the three month thing is their way of making it unique to them, right? Like they don't want to they don't want to be exactly Game Pass, but then you see the thing where they copied the marketing <laughs> line verbatim, and it's like, come on, man. I mean, it's not like Game Pass was the first thing to do it. They're like, that's a direct copy of Netflix, right? Exactly. It's just games yeah. instead. So yeah, I don't think originality would. That would be a silly thing, yeah, especially when you're copying all the marketing anyway. <laughs> and it's a whole conversation we have, too, with uh, numbers versus optics. Like, as a service, it's doing well. Like, PlayStation Now is doing well. Yeah. But yeah. the optics of it – and here's the thing is we know it's we know it's doing well because it's the only numbers we have. We don't have specific Game Pass numbers. So you can't necessarily say it's dominating or it's doing great because we don't know the Game Pass numbers. But you also can't say it's doing okay or terrible because we don't know the Game Pass numbers. You know? So it's like we yeah. don't have anything to compare it to. So it's like the numbers it's, are the numbers. Plus it's it's still For only years. part of the picture, right? Yeah. If you want to really look at like the you know the more meaningful picture is how is PlayStation doing versus Xbox versus soon to be Stadia, et cetera, et cetera. Not necessarily like Game Pass might be dominating PlayStation now, but Sony might be like, that's fine, because overall, and, it's different. Exactly. And also, PlayStation still doesn't offer, as far as I know, a bundle like game, uh, Xbox does, where you can get your gold and your Game Pass in one. You can't get now in right, uh, right. PSN Live, plus. right? Or what plus. is it called? Yeah. Plus, PS Plus. 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 Yeah, <laughs> PS Plus. PS Live. That's the service that goes down all the time. Uh, the actual big story here, we had a big whopping meaty news drop. Uh, <laughs> Sean Layden left PlayStation. Now, this came out of nowhere because yeah. normally when we have these type of announcements, specifically for Sony, but also with companies like Nintendo and Reggie Fiesa may left, uh, there's kind of like a red carpet ushered out of like they're leaving the company. They're going to be replaced by this person, yada, yada, yada. That didn't really happen. It was kind of like a weird tweet out of nowhere, which I'm going to read for you guys. This happened on September 30th. <clears throat> it is with great emotion that we announced that Worldwide Studios Chairman Sean Layden will be departing SIE, that's Sony Interactive Entertainment. His visionary great leadership emotion. will be greatly missed. We wish him success in future endeavors and are deeply grateful for his years of service. Thanks for everything, Sean. Now, I'm going to read through some of these details and I'm going to stop at certain points so we can talk about it, okay? So, since the launch of the PlayStation 4, SIE has seen Jack Trenton, Andrew House, John Drake most recently, and Sean Layden, most recently, recently, uh, leave the company. So it's just, there's a lot of people at the top that have left since launch of PS4. Um, John Drake, obviously, he left to Disney. Uh, Andrew House left in 2017. Um, and Jack what Trenton was John left Drake's in, title? Uh, John like Drake, he was, right? he was head of uh, third-party marketing partnerships, right? Something like that. Oh, I thought he was like a VR portfolio uh, no 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 adam so to, to, to that uh adam boyce also left i forgot to write his name down uh dom he was instrumental in psvr john drake was because he brought in all those third-party developers to make oh, games okay. for it so Which that's where you're getting that yeah, adam boyce before him exactly there's okay. a lot of people that have left since the launch of ps4 um obviously some going to other jobs some just leaving the industry altogether uh, so Layden's departure seems the most interesting as it seemingly came out of nowhere and wasn't followed up with the announcement of his replacement, unlike most of the previous key departures. With Andrew House, we had the name of the replacement, Jack Trenton, obviously John Drake, we haven't had that, but he's not as high up as these other guys. Um, Layden hasn't tweeted uh, since the announcement, but has liked a combination of tweets ranging from thanks and congratulations, you know, people saying like, thank you for everything, Sean, we're going to miss you, it sucks to see you go to speculation and curiosity 
which is there's people asking like why did you leave where are you going i hope you land on your feet elsewhere i can't wait to see the next thing you do so it's a weird combination of him like thanking all these people which is great but he's also not like dismissing the fact that he may be going elsewhere moving on to something else like there was a weird thing that happened with the japanese statement from this that he was retiring but literally everywhere else this thing was sent out to it, he's not retiring he's leaving the company and people think that it's just a way of like you know differences in language and and the way they handle these type of things that it was a just a different way of announcing him leaving the company so he actually wasn't retiring um on top of this uh writer and journalist mike futter who does a lot of work for game daily and numerous other sites uh, like variety he uh he tweeted uh, about the notion of the internal power struggle at sony uh being a cause of this due to the timing of this move with playstation 5 set to launch in 2020. well he went on to reference because people are wondering mike futter what are you talking about this internal power struggle what does this mean he went back and linked to this uh, article uh, from February of this year talking about the internal power struggle at Sony where when um, Kodera, remember Kodera replaced Andrew House, he only lasted like a year and then Jim Ryan replaced him. During all of this time, there was a power struggle between the focus of PlayStation 4 and what they should do with Jim Ryan coming over from PlayStation Europe where he kind of helped... Uh, ease the waters with the PlayStation 3 thing, you know, when it came out and it was too expensive and all those issues. But also, he, remember Jim Ryan's the one that kept saying dumb shit. We'll get to that. <laughs> that's near. That's coming up in a, in a, in a, a, a next part. So, uh, due to this power struggle, uh, th this article uh, written by Johnny Cullen over on GameDaily.biz, I suggest you go and check it out. It's a really interesting read. It focuses on Jim Ryan's ascension to president and CEO of SIE and how it happened so quickly. And uh, there was issues in the company of how he was ascending so quickly. And he felt that he did a good job for PlayStation Europe during a time when the North America and Japanese parts of the company weren't doing so well during that PlayStation 3 area, era. And there's like a whole conversation of like he got a little bit like cocky because of it. And that's a huge reason why he ascended as quickly as he did. Um, to Jordan's point, Ryan, uh, the same guy uh, who's currently president CEO of SIE, has caught uh, quite some flack in recent years for stating that backwards compatibility wasn't a feature worth investing in, as well as being directly opposed to crossplay in an effort to protect their younger player base. Oh, Obviously, yeah. he said some pretty weird, dumb things. Well, sincerely referencing Xbox Live is in like, well, we can't trust the other guys. We don't know. Once it goes outside of our ecosystem... Exactly. Uh, in a weird turn of events with all of this, the day after, October 1st, uh, there was some information that came out in an interview where the PlayStation Crossplay beta program or feature <laughs> is leaving beta, right? So it's like they're, it seems like they're moving towards crossplay being a normal thing, which is if with the power struggle with Jim Ryan and Sean Layden, was it this Sean Layden's last move of getting this stuff you know, moved forward? Is it Jim Ryan like eating his own words and eating crow about him saying that crossplay is something they're really not focusing on? And he actually had a statement that said the track record of the incumbent platform winning the next time mm. around is not a great one. So the major thrust of my executive energy is to avoid complacency. Now, that's all well and good. That's actually, he understands that like we have seen a pattern of the console that's winning comes in the next generation with a real sense of hubris and kind of falls on their face right and he see, he understands yes, that and he yes, wants three. to avoid complacency yeah so 
this is all the stuff that most people have heard and most people have referenced or, or talked about. There's an additional thing that came out that I haven't really seen. If you're somebody who follows Kind of Funny Games Daily or Easy Allies or all these people, no one's really mentioned this, but this goes in part with the Game Daily article where they talked about the power struggle. Um, so Game Daily also reports recent efforts to bring all of the SIE branches under one worldwide umbrella. And this is like in the last couple of weeks. This isn't part of that original article in February. Uh, Game Daily also reports recent efforts to bring all of the SIE branches under one worldwide umbrella has caused some confusion as business practices and marketing are very different from region to region. This combined with the power struggles has apparently led to a lot of confusion as we head into the next generation of consoles. So basically what this is referencing is that a, a problem that was occurring between Jim Ryan, Sean Layden, and a lot of the other people at the Japanese uh, part of Sony is that Jim Ryan wants to put everything together. All of their business practices, their marketing, they want it all under one umbrella. So they want it to be a, a quote unquote, a more like well-run engine, right? Instead of all of them individually doing their things that fit their own region, they want to combine it all. So that's the cause for all this confusion and people not understanding exactly what's going on. So, information on the PlayStation 5 is apparently trickling out slowly even to first-party teams, with third parties even further behind. An, an anonymous developer at a major third-party studio had this to say about the situation. This is the least amount of clarity we've ever had on a new console this close to transition. I believe that the global restructuring at Sony is exponentially exacerbating the already difficult process of transitioning to a new generation, and now we're getting nervous. Very nervous. So basically what's happening here, for those oh who <laughs> loved all of those this great Scrabble words. That is an absolute disaster. It's, so it's crazy that Jim Ryan points out avoiding complacency, but it seems <laughs> like there may be issues in regards to them restructuring everything, and that's causing unnecessary confusion between the departments and the regions. So right. basically what's happening is because of all of this confusion, they're having a, a, a harder time communicating the PlayStation 5 and the dev kits and the move to the next generation, uh, which brings up the notion of, is this why Sean Layden left? And obviously we don't know until he gives an official statement, but maybe this type of confusion was something he necessarily didn't want to be a part of because if you look at Sean Layden's track record, the dude is like 10 for 10 in terms of like leading the first party studios and PlayStation 4 has done a really good job with that, right? We can all agree on that. <laughs> like just yeah. incredible. Uh, so... Him leaving is weird. Uh, them not announcing a successor is weird. Uh, apparently, uh, this was also in the article, but I didn't write it down. Uh, the future of PlayStation was also a disagreement that Sean Layden and Ryan apparently had, where Layden wanted to double down on the single-player first-party exclusives, whereas Jim Ryan, who comes from the European region and is more marketing-focused, wants to transition more towards, not necessarily games as a service, but games where you can find value in them after their initial release um so it's, it's really interesting it's like information upon information of like why exactly did Layden leave what's happening with jim ryan uh and this whole confusion with ps5 dev kits and stuff i don't know that last part is really interesting especially the quote from the developer it was a lot to read and i talked a lot so what do you guys think about that whole mess <laughs> Well, I think they've been stumbling into this generation, and it seems like, I hate to say it, it seems like they're going to continue stumbling into the next generation. Uh, I hope that isn't the case, but 
you know, I and I would say we have been saying that for quite some time that it looks like they are a little bit off the rails over at PlayStation for maybe the last two years, at least a year and a half. And moving into 2020, uh, and especially the, like I said, new generation, it does not seem to be that that has changed. Now, you'll have to remember that's not going to stop Sony's first-party studios from kicking ass as they have been. Exactly. And putting out well, games like The Last of Us 2, Ghost of Tsushima, uh, hopefully Death Stranding is solid, even though it's not first-party, but it's an exclusive. Um it looks like they might maybe hopefully be able to carry the weight that the um, unfortunately you know the the higher ups in the corporate offices are forcing them to bear yeah my worry too with this with Sean Layden leaving is he seemed very compassionate towards uh, help me out with the Those dreams developers name studios. Media Molecule. Media Molecule, and the, the the first party studios that don't necessarily hit the way that Naughty Dog or these other studios do, right? He was very understanding and patient with them, and I'm we don't know who's replacing him, obviously, first of all. And with what's been said about Jim Ryan and his perspective on things, I wonder if those developers are long for this world. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the biggest well, question. Of all the executive names that you've mentioned this far, we haven't mentioned Shuhei Yoshida. And he has also kind of faded into the the darkness. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, still working for PlayStation, of course, but uh, is not nearly as front-facing as he was, you know, three to five years ago. And I think that um, that has been the case with several of these guys. Um and yeah, the departures, now that we look at it and list it off, are quite numerous, um, especially that high up. Um, that many departures in such a short time is is a bit alarming uh, as a place, what I would consider a hardcore PlayStation fan. So yeah, it's, it's a scary situation, and that's not easy or fun to say. Um, from the perspective of someone who really loves PlayStation gaming, but nonetheless, it has been that way for a little while now, so it's not surprising in the least. Uh, I don't know. I'm I want to ask you a question, like, Dom, but first give yeah. your thoughts, but I have a follow-up question for you. I'm a little more like this is, I mean, who the hell knows what's going on over there and like what impact it has on what ultimately is shown to us as consumers, right? Um, yeah. It kind of it just makes me. There's going to be big like there's power struggles at every every company this large, especially the higher up the ladder you go. There's weird shit that goes on, and I yeah, I definitely like the way Sean Layden left is like that's a little odd. What happened yeah. there? And like maybe there's a lot to it, and maybe maybe he got screwed over, or yeah, outvoted and just said fuck y'all, and you know maybe there's something a little dramatic there, but I, or the point that Greg Miller know. said of like when you. With some companies, if you announce that you're going to work for a competitor two weeks early, they don't give you that two weeks. They're like, okay, well, leave now. Yeah, you know? like get well, out. Well, yeah. and someone in Sean Layden's position would surely have a non-compete clause, which means yeah. that he can't be yeah, shopping around while he's working at PlayStation. That's, a good point. that's essentially illegal, you know, or at least in, it would probably put him in breach of contract. Well, and, and I guess like, Jim Ryan did have as difficult a relationship as has been reported or discussed then 
maybe when the opportunity arose for him to bail, you know, and go elsewhere, maybe it was like, well, yeah, it's, a, you know, I don't want to stick around uh, with this type of leadership. Maybe he had, maybe his contract had finished or, you know what I mean? Who knows? Sure. I just feel like, I mean, yeah, it's interesting to read some of this stuff, but ultimately it's like you can find a narrative, especially in larger organizations. You can find any narrative you want. You can find a story of from whatever perspective you want and, you know, piece something together and make it seem like X, Y, and Z is going on because of A, B, and C. Yeah. But, like, it's kind of all at best speculation. And it, even if it is accurate, it maybe that's only, you know, a quarter of a percent of the entire picture, right? Like, I think the real I bet, I bet I there's someone. Sh- Sorry, go ahead. Like I bet there's someone at, um, what do they call the maid god of war? Basically, um, Santa Monica. Santa Monica. Like basically, like since that game out, game came out, we've been seeing a lot of Corey Barlog, and everyone seems to love him, and he seems like a great guy. And it's like, oh, that studio must just be like a well-oiled machine where everyone is absolutely happy, and it's a great great place to be you know what i mean that's kind of been the narrative like that's the general that's what we've seen but i bet there's a handful at least of people who would complain about some shady shit and maybe cory barlog's an asshole crunch. and like yeah. weird crunch and a lot of political you know bullshit and power struggles in there i'm like you can probably find that narrative in there how you like and that the latest example we're gonna get back into sports here is um it was like this pittsburgh steelers um, this offseason, I think there were a bunch of weird. I don't even know exactly what was apparently going on, but it was similar was stuff. The Ramsey like, Hawks. <laughs> it was so and so, like, oh, they're losing. The coach is losing control of the locker room or whatever. And like, they asked him about it, and the coach was like, "Well, I've never, we've never been able to control the narrative of what goes on over here, but we know what what does go on and what doesn't. So like, I don't even care to." But then when you see comment, all the stuff that happens know? with Antonio Brown, you're like, "How much were they able to hide?" <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You never yeah. really know. It could have been ten times worse than speculated, uh, but so yeah. I wanna I wanna respond to that. So I agree with you. I don't think the main story here is Sean Layden's relationship to Jim Ryan and why he left, right? I think that's I think that's the, the breadcrumb that got us to the point of I think the bigger story is why is he leaving now? Like right when PlayStation Five is about to come out. I think yeah, that's the yeah. more interesting story. And this stuff from Game Daily of the PlayStation 5 information and the confusion related to them trying to bring all of their branches under one thing uh, and how that's trickling out to first-party and third-party teams because as great as we can say the PlayStation exclusives are, if you have a strong relationship with third parties, that helps bolster a launch, right? And it helps bolster a console. So if third parties, if this is true, if third parties are even further behind first-party teams in terms of getting information on the console... That could lead towards some issues at launch where either games don't run as well on the PS5 because third-party developers aren't as familiar with uh, the system itself and the architecture, or mm. they have to avoid supporting it at launch because they just didn't get it in time, right? And that's the Which issue is... with, does a company put out their, their games at launch on a platform without feeling confident in the product? Because this is different than now. So. If companies were currently behind on trying to get games out on the PS4 and Xbox One, they would do everything in their power to make sure it comes out on PS4 no matter how comfortable they are with it because of the install base, right? Mm. PS4 has a tremendous install base. But when it's a new console generation, there's zero install base, right? So there's a different incentive of trying to put something out on PS5 as opposed to PS4 where there's 100 million consoles out there. So the problems that you outlined just a second ago with... um, reasons that com- third-party companies wouldn't put a game on the co- next console 
has already happened with PlayStation 3 because they made it too damn complicated to develop for. Yeah. And so companies, like you said, chose either not to or they came out much later and sometimes gimped versions or broken versions in, in the example of Skyrim um, because maybe the PS3 couldn't handle it or they just, like I said, it was so goddamn complicated to work with um, that they couldn't they couldn't figure it out. So yeah. they've already done that once and that is exactly what I was thinking of when you were originally describing the story is, oh God, I just don't want a repeat of PS3's launch with third-party stuff. And so that's and that's a great point because that's kind of what what I'm thinking is what we do or like you know the narrative that they're trying to tell us is well we've seen you know we've seen this pattern of like every other you know generation yeah. someone they're ahead fail. of it they so get he, it and again this is just what Jim Ryan said we don't know that he's going to follow through and has learned these lessons but that should have been a lesson learned from PlayStation Three and that was a big selling point even like to consumers when they announced PS4 was yeah like we just made this so it's easy for developers right we made it so it's yeah. easy to work with yep so i would think like based on what they're trying to tell us that they're aware of that and th- that this problem from one person at one studio saying that that's not the case i'm like well maybe but i that's that's a that's one potential thing right where you got to i would i would pet, put my money on well, what he actually, like, what the CEO and president or whatever actually told us until it's proven wrong, like, fun, like, in, you know, by evidence of it not happening and we get shitty ports and things like that. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is he says directly in that quote, we're trying to make sure we avoid complacency. That has nothing to do with necessarily, like, confusion or all of these other issues. That's making Hubris. sure you don't make this. Huh? hubris as in the way they acted with ps3 exactly like avoiding complacency doesn't necessarily directly respond to them having a bunch of confusion because they're trying to bring all of the sony entertainment interactive entertainment branches under one umbrella right and causing all of these issues that has nothing to do with complacency in terms of moving on to the next generation so it's like they he seems like he is focused on and he understands the mistake that they shouldn't make but we hope. it seems yeah. like they might have issues outside Elsewhere. of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if it's 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 strange that bringing all of the branches, not just PlayStation, but all of the branches for Sony Interactive Entertainment under one umbrella is causing this. This isn't like specifically the PS5 is going to be $800, right? That's different. This is like yeah. an unforced error going back to sports. Now, it's like... <laughs> there is something to be said for Jim Ryan trying to bring about some possible... You know, streamline Sony internally, or at least PlayStation, because God fucking knows that Sony itself never knows uh, between the right and the left hand what the fuck is happening. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Because when I buy my uh, what would be $200 Sony Bluetooth headphones and they don't hook up to my fucking Sony PlayStation, it's maddening. It is utterly maddening. And there are so many examples of that within Sony products and Sony, um, you know, divisions where you just can tell that the right and the left hand are not communicating. And so it's possible that Jim Ryan is saying, well, I can't fix all of Sony, but I can try to fix PlayStation in that sense. Maybe it's a, you know, he's doing a valiant thing, but uh, it doesn't seem like they're going about it the right way. And God 
fucking forbid we get a you know a semi repeat of the PS3 launch era because <laughs> your I statement, just don't know that I have it in me, guys. Your statement, Jordan, reminds me of the meme with Thanos where it's like you got you got Sony all under one umbrella. What did it cost you? And it's Thanos holding a PS5. It's like everything. <laughs> it just it's such a meme it's so funny it, that's I feel a thing. Like, like now now you got me thinking like the ps3 repeat is inevitable yeah it's it's going to be strange if the problems that persist with the ps5 at launch aren't that it's a bad price or any of this it's simply communication errors that could have been avoided right and it set developers yeah. back that's going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out Man, um, if I was one of the developers, he it seemed like he was putting it as nicely as possible while still being like, hey, shit is on fire. Um, I would be hot if that was me, man. I would be just about ready to tear Sony a new one. So I can only imagine how those developers feel. I really can't wait to see what happens with Sean Layden. Like, there's rumors that he's going to Stadia, yeah. which would be huge for Stadia. But huh. yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens there. But... Yeah, this is obviously this isn't like confirmed by Game Daily, but if you know when this type type of stuff, this information comes out, as more and more of it gets compiled, you'll see the Jason Schreiers and the IGNs put together pieces when they have enough information. So we'll see how things unfold in the coming months as we're getting closer and closer to uh, the PlayStation Five. The other thing I wanted to mention is people were like, "Oh yeah, Sony avoided E3 because they're done with the show." Sony avoided like. Mm. almost every major gaming event this year. I don't think it was an e- anti-E3 yeah. thing. It was that they just were... Lots of stuff. Yeah. They didn't even I, do TGS. Exactly. Right? Yeah, it was like... like or Gamescom. All or... kinds of shit they were dropping out of. Obviously, PSX has been just abandoned on the side of the road at some point. Like, it's rough, man. <laughs> well, it, it, I know From episode... a fan perspective, what am I supposed to think, Sony? And what I know the fuck are you 19... telling me if it's just like... Yeah, yeah, we got stuff. You've seen the trailers. We'll do an event here or there, but don't expect much, okay? Oh, well, that's well, how does that get me like, excited for PS5 in the slightest? Sean Layden seems like the type of dude that, because he's so, he wears the weird, like, medieval shirts. I, I, I'm interested yeah. if he was the one that was behind wanting to make PSX a thing, because the way Jim Ryan talks, Jim Ryan talks like an executive, for better or worse. Sometimes worse with oh, all yeah. of his statements with backwards compatibility and stuff, and I wonder if running the numbers he felt like yeah it's not worth it and that's the whole thing with companies is like sometimes things are going to lose you money but as dom and I, uh, dom often puts is like the optics of it it sometimes is worth that financial loss because of what it does for the community and the future uh yeah. profits and stuff like that so we'll see what happens with the playstation in the future uh that's it for this week a lot of playstation stuff hopefully mm-hmm. we see where john uh john john Layden, uh sean Layden lands um in terms I got of a quick we're bet. Be- Let's say whenever PlayStation Five comes out, November first, twenty twenty. By November first, twenty twenty one, will Mark Cerny still be at PlayStation? Ooh, that's a good question. I think within a year of the PlayStation 5's launch, if shit is hitting the fan the way it seems, we might see a departure from Cerny. I think he'll be there up until the console gets unveiled, like in March. Okay. But, like, who knows? Pre-launch he's leaving? Wow. That's his baby. Yeah, and he definitely wants to show off NAC 3 at launch, dude. He'll be there. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. That's the power struggle, Jared. Is there, like, how many fucking NAC games are we going to make? Sean Layden's like, I'm tired of NAC. 
And I love Cerny the email. and Jim Ryan are on the other side, like, we're doing another one. I love the fake email that I put in chat. Remember, it's like, this is his oh res- resignation God. letter about the cross and X buttons. It so starts off so serious, and then it jumps into, I can no longer be here with you <laughs> calling it cross or whatever. I'm n- yeah. I will never call the but- X button cross. Uh, I don't think it'll happen. I think it's highly unlikely, but I would love for Sean Layden to come to Xbox. I think it'd be a great sure. part of Xbox. He, he knows what he's doing. So, uh, In terms of what we're going to be playing, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, have that baby preloaded. Going to jump into it tonight for a little bit. Going to going to see how that tonight? is. Yeah, I'll play for a little bit, but pro- maybe like 30 minutes at most. Maybe get through like the initial like an hour, like uh, like the training. you know Tutorial. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, gonna see if I can hop into Gears 5. I also, speaking of N- Nintendo games never being on sale, but because this was published by Ubisoft, it was. I bought Kingdom Battle for like 20 bucks the other day when it was on sale. So mm. I might hop into that too. Mario Plus Rabbit's Kingdom Battle. I've been wanting to play that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Might see the Joker movie, obviously, Jordan's seeing it tonight as the day of recording this. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Dom, what are you gonna be playing? Yeah, I'm gonna see Joker tomorrow. I'm really excited. And then, uh, actually... I'm going to put this one for you, Jared. So I have another month of Game Pass, and okay. I've narrowed down um, some games on there that I want to pick from. So I got it down to two, okay. and I'm pretty sure you played both of these. So I'm going to just straight up say, Jared, which one of these games should I play? Option one, Prey. Option two, Metro Exodus. I haven't played Metro Exodus, unfortunately. Oh, I still need shit. to get to okay. it. Shit. I mind. think save Metro Exodus so we can both play through, start at the same time, like we did with... Uh, what was Either the last game we played? Uh, Edith Finch. Edith Finch. Yeah. Do pray. Oh, yeah. Do pray. Okay. I mean, this is more of more of a one or the other, and that's Edith forever. Edith Finch. Okay. Well, if you're gonna play one forever, yeah. Uh, then it's hard to say. If, I would say pray. Because Metro Exodus won't be as worthwhile if you hadn't played the first two. I don't think the story super connects, but I think. If you're going to play the third one, might as well play the first two because they're both still good, good games. With Prey, you don't feel as much guilt. Yeah, exactly. It's a good point. All right, it, that's it's a spiritual sequel. Technically, yeah. Uh, Jordan, anything outside of Joker? So, yes. Uh, as mentioned, I will be seeing Joker this evening in Dolby Cinema. So Dolby. Am, uh, oops. Yes, I am quite excited uh, because I think you guys know I've worked tirelessly in uh, recent years to tamp down my hype for things because I just, especially this year, man, I've just been getting disappointed by shit, uh, which makes things like Injustice, the comic, all the more sweet because I I can still be super fucking into shit. I'm not just a soulless bastard. So um, I had super tamped down my excitement for a Joker movie. Obviously, I'm a gigantic Batman fan, uh, but nonetheless, this is not a Batman movie. It just takes place in Gotham, so we'll see how that aspect is of it. But but it is obviously connected to Batman as well, so um, hearing about it initially, with it being uh, produced by Scorsese or him attached to produce it initially, um, I was like, all right, they're, they're seemingly doing this outside of the DCEU. Everybody's like totally not convinced, but but I could see it. And then, um, you know, of course, Joaquin Joaquin Phoenix gets cast, and um, 
I guess I guess it just came together. It seems like it just came together from what I hear. And um, they released the reviews, I think, way too early. I think it had to do with the film festivals. TIFF, um, I think? Or, the Toronto uh, one? Yeah. Toronto International Film Festival. Um, which sucks because it's been like literally a <clears throat> month to the day when the, the reviews came out uh, before this release tonight. So it's like... It's been really difficult uh, to live through that because I was fucking ready to see it, right? But, um, yeah. Uh, Joaquin is a fantastic actor and in some of my favorite movies of all time. And um, Gladiator? Obviously, yeah, like, super passionate about the Joker. Her. So I'm, I'm finally allowing the hype to wash over me, I guess is the point that I'm trying to make, gentlemen. And, yeah, I am, I am quite uh, stoked, bra to uh, head into that theater tonight so um, we'll definitely be reporting back next week but uh, I think I got a good feeling about it um, you know there's there could certainly be some shit in it that I'm not about but um, who knows I don't I'm, I'm gonna try not to compare it to Heath Ledger the whole time you know because that is uh, probably the best live action Joker of all time Hamill would be the best animated of course uh but we'll see uh quick shout out to uh joker the book by brian azarella which is uh connected you know technically a prequel to batman damned uh, which i know we've talked about before so i read both of those books joker and batman damned uh, but just to talk about the book joker that is like if you want to see like a dark fucking joker uh certainly um you know, could you could see connections in your mind to the Heath Ledger version? Um, that is a, a quick uh, original graphic novel, not in DC continuity, so you can pick it up real quick. And that is a very intense, um, interesting look at the Joker. So um, shout out to that. And then uh, anything else? Let me think. Yeah, uh, I told Jared before the show. I think I'm holding off actually on Ghost Recon. Not because I'm de-hyped on it or I'm not excited, but just generally I think I'm going to be uh, going less for the day one purchases on video games. Um, and we'll see how that goes and how long that lasts. But um, yeah, so I, I will be hopping into Ghost Recon at a later point, though I'm sure it's going to be dank as fuck. So um, trying to think of anything else. Um, shout out to uh, Broccoli. Uh, well, broccoli's okay, Jared, but let me tell you about the real stuff. Cauliflower. Oh, God. Shout uh, out. Oh, I threw the bottle. Shout out to Gatorade. Shout out to Gatorade. Yeah. Gatorade, get hot. Uh, real quick before I get into the closing spiel, uh, bold prediction I think Dom will like this movie more than me and you. It's a bold prediction because Dom's the biggest Batman fan and it's not going to have Batman out of us three. I I don't know if he's the biggest Batman fan, but he's tied with you. You two are both more bigger Batman fans than I am. Hello? (laughs) I'm here. I'm I'm just thinking about what you just said. Yeah, Yeah, I I think Dom will like the movie most out of us three. Uh, And uh, real quick, uh, shout out to the Bears for meeting expectations and shout out to the Lions for exceeding expectations. Shout out to Ghost Rider number one, Jared. I'll have that downloaded. I might check it out. Yeah, dude. It's fucking cool, man. Ghost Rider's fucking cool. Fuck that Nick, Nick Cage bullshit. 
movie series, like, Ghost Rider's a cool-ass character. He's got a flaming skull, and he rides around in either a hot rod or on a motorcycle. So, I mean, he's a spirit of vengeance. He has um, the penance stare, which can make you feel all the pain that you've ever caused. Um, it's fucking crazy. Shout-out to Ghost Rider. New Monroe Uno. Thank you guys for listening. If you can, please follow us on iTunes. Leave a review. It helps. If you go over to YouTube, you can search Controlled Interest. We'll pop up. Subscribe. Hit the bell notification. It'll notify you when we upload a new video because YouTube subscription boxes can be a little finicky. Uh, and on Twitter, you can go to Twitter and search Controlled Interest, and it'll pop up. Our at is C-T-R-L-I-N-T. That's Controlled Interest abbreviated. You can follow me at Jared underscore. You can follow Dom at Dom's Oreos. And you can follow Jordan at Melamotus. We'll catch you guys next week. And uh, I'll have some Ghost Recon Breakpoint impressions. So, see you guys then. Noise. Bye.